Hi, this is Nick Moscatello, and you're listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman, and with me this week is... I typed the, <laughs> I typed the names out of order. Hmm. And with me this week is Esposa de la Pastora, Dan Jellybeans for All, Marcel. All right, Jellybeans! Worship director Scott, a vote for Den is a vote for Jellybeans Reed. Vote for Den. Scott! Vote for Dan. Vote for Den. And associate pastor Bill, leave me alone, Cal. I'll vote for that. Bill, before we leave you alone, will you pray for us? Sure. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day and... I pray you fill us with your spirit that we would represent you well and have a good time at the same time. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Scott. All right. I think I found a new new card. It's got a little pen mark on it. I don't think I've ever seen that before. <laughs> okay. So we're just going to, without looking at the questions, this is... do what we've started doing and give each of you one question from the card. Hopefully none of them are inappropriate. Amen. Nothing we can do about it now. Bring this it is on. unstoppable. Yep. Bill, would you rather be married to someone who insists that every electric device in your home be controlled by those clap-on, clap-off devices, <laughs> or that every piece of furniture have plastic covers? Oh, oh I'll take the clap-on, clap-on. <laughs> clap <on. laughs> yeah, plastic covers are banned. How would you just like, clap really quietly? I know. <laughs> I would ruin the podcast. <laughs> and we'd have to start over every time we it start. We'd be turning on and off like 52 times. <laughs> Max, would you rather... Would you rather have a smile that is freakishly huge or have a freakishly small nose? <laughs> uh, what qualifies as freakish? Um, I guess the nose. Oh. A freakishly small nose. Tiny nose. I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah, I'll go nose. I like to think that the mouth is normal size, but when you smile, it's just, it's just like... Yeah. That's what I'm imagining. But I think, of, <laughs> yeah. I think at least for now, a mask can cover You're stuck a with that nose. nose 24 hours a day, whereas the smile, you only do that some of the day. That's a good point. Well, no take No take I already did it. I All right, Dan. Would you rather live... This is a long one, so hopefully oh. I can articulate right, sit this down. properly. <laughs> Seatbelt on. Would you rather live three years in your car while getting the right education and experience to go where you want in life? Oh, my goodness. Or house it a friend's mansion for 20 years with a generous spending allowance but get nowhere in any other aspect of your life during that time? I think I'd rather live in my car. Whoa. Yeah. Doesn't sure. sound very fun, but for only three years and then you're set up for success later? Yeah. yeah. True. It's an investment. I read a book like that. Guy went to Duke graduate school, and he was a guy who had just climbed out of debt from his school bills by working in Alaska. And so when he went to Duke, he had no money, but he had no debt. He decided to live in his van. Oh, wow. So he lived in his van for about a year while he... Went to Duke Graduate School and it worked out. He was able to pull it off. But he essentially was a homeless guy. He's parking this van wherever you could get away with. Wow. But it showed how determined he was to stay out of debt. Mm-hmm. Scott, right. what's your question? Scott, would you rather excel at making loud, offensive noises with your armpits <laughs> or distinguish yourself for being able to whistle a tune out of your nose even though a little snot comes out with the music? <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is funny because you're already I've discovered recently that it's much harder than it used to be for me to make loud offensive sounds with my armpits. 
<laughs> I wish I was there for that realization. For private like, reasons. The sadness. <laughs> he was very sad. <laughs> for private reasons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like I'd like to be able to whistle a tune out of my nose. Sure. Even though a little snot comes out? Even though a little snot I think you can out. incorporate it into the service pretty well. <laughs> it's hard to incorporate the armpit noises into the service. Unless we don't have a drummer. Except for, yeah, I was going to say, maybe once a year. Just have a tissue handy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or just put you behind a screen. Say it's for COVID reasons, but it's actually because you're too embarrassed. Yeah, <laughs> wear a mask. Wear, yeah, and only there it I is. have to deal with the snow. And mask is going to get disgusting. Well, only every time I whistle uh, <laughs> a tune out of my nose. <laughs> Moving on, Dan, what you reading? Well, I just finished it a few days okay. ago. Okay. So it's called To Wake the Giant by a guy mm. named Jeff Shara, who's a historical author. His works are works of fiction, but he incorporates a lot of research, a lot of mm. first-person accounts. Hmm into the writings and usually there's like five or six characters that the story takes place like through their eyes through the lens of what they were going through and so it was about the attack on Pearl Harbor December 7th 1941 and like kind of the year leading up to it and then what happened wow extremely interesting book sure and if you'll permit me to say why, one thing that was interesting that I learned <laughs> is I didn't realize in 1941 how much racism there was against Japanese people mm-hmm. already I, Yes, and before the war even started, oh. that people thought that there was like this kind of stereotype of like a very short person with giant glasses, very unintelligent, and so it was thought mm. they can never do anything to us because they're not smart enough. Whoa. Huh. And so it was a real wake-up call to America to like, man, we had these preconceived notions about these people, and they man. planned an attack from thousands of miles away and, and decimated our fleet man, starting geez. World War II. That's crazy. So I had no idea that there was that level That's of awful kind of is that racism. What they on. thought about like Japanese people in Japan or Japanese Americans or both? Or just all? Probably in in general. Okay, that there was like a, a limited intelligence. Wow. Even like a couple weeks before the attack, there was quotes from in the book, actual quotes from like they're just not they're not intelligent enough to ever start a war with us. Wow. That, that that was a surprise to me, which I didn't realize. Which yeah. Sometimes you can really glorify the old days and not realize some of the attitudes, sure. cultural attitudes that were going on. Sure. Didn't know. But, sure. but you know, that gives me a lot of hope because if that was the view of Japanese people in 1941, here we are 79 years later, and mm-hmm. I think it's very typical for an American to have real esteem for a Japanese yeah. person. Mm-hmm. They're well-educated. They come up with a better way of doing things. Hmm. And so that gives me hope for our racism problem today. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, that was an enjoyable book. Sure. Uh, Scott, you'll be next week, so I hope you'll bring something I'm ready. for the class. <laughs> uh, <laughs> listeners, uh, the weather may be cooling down, uh, but the war for the podcast presidency is just heating up. Last week, uh, we got some opening remarks from our three candidates, and today we are officially opening our election season with our first presidential debate. Uh, so let's welcome our candidates to the stage. Representing the Jelly Bean Party, the senator from Mexico, Dan Marcello. <laughs> Woo! The senator Woo! from Mexico. Representing the presidential conglomerate, Boston yes. apologist Scott Reed. <laughs> and representing the curmudgeon party, Akron's <laughs> own muffin man, Bill Cal. Yeah. All right, muffin man. Lose. <laughs> lose. Lose in isolation now. He's supposed to be left himself. alone. Uh, gentlemen, let's get into it. Uh, Scott, um, you've already made some some pretty big campaign promises between redirecting the jet ski fund, opening the podcast mm. up even more than it already is. Why can listeners trust you to follow through where others won't? 
<laughs> well, I think something important to remember is that a vote for me is a vote for Dan, and a vote for Dan is a vote for jelly beans. <laughs> so really, so really, for, you vote for Scott. So you by the transit of property, two for the price of one. <laughs> well, so what I'm saying is it's really me and Dan. Or Bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you and Dan, or you and Dan and a child, or Bill and George Washington. <laughs> right. So either way, it's me and Dan, and maybe a child. Sure. Versus Bill. And I think, you know, right there, we've got two presidential candidates at the same time mm -hmm. working to get the jobs done, versus mm. Bill, whose running mate is dead. Sure. As he said last week. <laughs> that was why he picked him. He doesn't even have a, a running mate, sure. uh, let alone one that is also a presidential candidate. This is true, but George Washington has performed very well in the polls almost every time we've had a presidential podcast you know, election. Right. So, I mean, it's a tactical move on, on Bill's part. That's true. That's true. But we have to look at what he's actually accomplished in the last 200 years. Oh, this is a good point. His voting record is very mixed. <laughs> uh, to that, uh, Bill, do you have a response for, for Scott really making you, pegging you as the outsider here? Listen, if elected, I will not serve. If drafted, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go so there you have it i mean i think it's pretty clear you know there's two different kinds of way of looking at this election uh, scott just to follow up on on what you said about you know you and dan and you obviously selecting dan as your vice presidential candidate right. why have you as the president and dan as the vice president whereas dan would have it the other way around well, I think Dan and I are actually co-presidents. You're co-presidents. And Renata like, is the vice president should Dan yes. win as co-president. If I win as co-president, it's just Dan. Is there a reason why you don't want Dan's daughter as your potential vice president? Because you asked him after me, and I didn't know that that was an option. <laughs> Nor did I, in fact. Uh, but it's, like, it's like Chelsea and Daniel, co-youth directors, we are co-presidents. Exactly. Dan, you recently made headlines selecting oh. two vice presidents, uh, including your own, your own daughter, which was a tactic uh, famously used by Nate Kugel in his loss to Jonah Langendurfer uh, two years ago. Why are you the only one with the guts to include family in your platform? I, I see that there could be accusations of nepotism here, and you mm -hmm. might be right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Dan Marcello that's Because way. my daughter is cute, and she's got a nice smile. All right, all right. And she will really promote jelly beans for all, because she's got quite the sweet tooth. Sure. She will hold us to that campaign promise. Sure. Now, Bill, you famously have referred to your daughter, Nicole, as one of the smartest people on planet Earth. Yeah. Is there a reason why you're not including her on your ticket? She doesn't want the job. <laughs> Neither do you. <laughs> yeah, but he was yeah, makes so a good trying, team. Trying to have peace in the family. Oh, oh okay. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Bill, you have, you've criticized Dan's Jelly Beans for All campaign multiple times, both publicly and privately. Mm. Um, would you elaborate what? on why you oppose it so strongly? Well, it's that high sugar content. Mm, mm -hmm. Kids just bounce off the wall when you give them a lot of jelly beans. Sure. Plus, it's bad for your teeth. Dan, your rebuttal. Well, it tastes really good, especially jelly belly beans. That is the prime jelly bean. And Ronald Reagan, one of the most esteemed presidents, mm. had jelly beans in the Oval Office. So I'm only following the time-honored tradition of jelly beans for all. This is true. Huh. How does George Washington feel about jelly beans? Well, he had wooden teeth, so no problem there. <laughs> well played. Uh, we will now hear our closing remarks, starting with our tallest candidate, Scott Reed. Scott, why are you the right person to be elected president? Well, you just said it, because I'm the tallest candidate. <laughs> mm, mm. Dan, why are you the tallest? I mean, why? <laughs> because I'm not. I was trying not to say, why is Scott the best candidate? Why are you the best candidate to be elected? I think it just comes down to two words. 
Jelly Belly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. The word, the second word, was a surprise. I was. Um, <laughs> Bill, I don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> do you want people to vote for you? No, no. I think Bill is in isolation. I think he's. But the thing is, I think that really resonates with the voters, at least with the exit polls after last week's show. I mean, you were in a strong lead, so. You know, the more you resist, the more people want to see you in office. What, what is the, what are the, what's Twitter saying right now is our debate is going on? The live feed is just blowing up, mostly with the hashtag more jelly, more belly, yeah. uh, which I can't decide if that's on Bill's side or Dan's side. I think it might be both. <laughs> all right. Um, well, thank you, uh, all three of you, for your uh, participation in our first presidential debate. Obviously, again, listeners, uh, we will continue this all the way until Election Day itself. Um, and all I can say is vote early, vote often. Uh, let's get into uh, Sermon Roundup. Yeah! Sermon Roundup. <laughs> Competing yeehaw. I think we should all do it in unison. One, two, three. Yeehaw! That's the cutest thing I've ever heard. Uh, sponsored by the Kids Front Porch. Uh, this is just a quote of what Dan said last week. Today's Whatever We're Doing is brought to you by the Kids Front Porch. Kids YouTube program with characters such as Sweet Stephanie, the masked man from Marcello, and other people like Professor Egghead Smarts, where kids come together to learn timely Bible lessons from the Bible. Bible lessons from the Bible. Kids Front Porch, premiering next week on YouTube and BloomingdaleChurch.org. For more information, email danm at BloomingdaleChurch.org. And our fearless director, Max Turman. For Sermon Roundup. Stop calling me that. For Sermon <laughs> Roundup this week. I saw you mention that in the staff meeting. Uh, we continue our series, uh, Following Jesus, um, talking about distractions um, and getting space. Um, <laughs> Let's go. But one of the things that, that Pastor David talked about his second point, really, talking about Jesus getting away and getting uh, mm-hmm. away from, commonly getting away from the crowds, even getting away from his disciples, going off by himself to be with with God. Um, and Pastor David talked about sort of practical applications for us, but before we get into those, I was wondering if you guys could shed some light on why Jesus needed to get space to be with God. If he's fully God, fully man, like why does he need to get away and get space, and why do the gospel writers make a point of, of pointing that out? They don't really point out the prayer habits of uh, most other biblical mm-hmm. figures. If I, I mean, other than the prophets, who where God is commanding them to go and and do things, whether it's you know, spend time alone or in isolation or things like that. Like, why is it um, that Jesus takes that time to to be by himself with God? I have two thoughts. One is that he wanted to show us that it's important that we do it, kind of like he him getting baptized. Mm-hmm. Like setting the example of like, hey, this is important. Mm. You should do it too. Sure, is, is definitely one. And the second one, I'm blanking on. So I'll let out someone else go and then I'll <laughs> circle back to it and remember. I forgot about Jesus getting <laughs> baptized. I think that's a that's also a great mm-hmm. point. Is why why in the world would Jesus need to be baptized? It reminds me of when John the Baptist was murdered by Herod, and mm. uh, the news came to Jesus, and Jesus went away to be alone. And I think that was. Mm. I think he was feeling grief and sadness sure. and was a chance to get away and really deal with that with the Lord, mm. with, with his father. Sure. So that's just an example of why. Yeah. Jesus is fully human, too. Mm-hmm. If he hadn't taken the time to get alone and pray, it's hard to make a case that his ministry would have been anywhere near what it was. Mm. And one thing I appeal to is he withdrew all night in Luke 5, and then 
in verse 12. It's either 5.12 or 6.12. I think it's Luke 6.12. He picks out the 12, which has always been convicting to me because I'm thinking, okay, who would be good for this position? But I never have spent the whole night in prayer Hmm. before Hmm. making selections. Sure, That's a great point, Bill. I think there is like a physiological element to to both of your points of, um, you know, Jesus experiences experiences grief, as mm-hmm. you said, and, and and emotion, but he also experiences physical pain as well, obviously. And um, if he is fully human, it's not like he just has sort of the energizer battery, like mm-hmm. of God, just kind of pushing him, you know, mm-hmm. to to overcome those things. Like even when he's in the desert for forty days and he fasts, like the angels come and. And tend to him at the end of that. It's not like he walks out of there and he's like, I'm fine. Like, I'm just, I'm using my, the God part of me to sort of, you know, overpower the the human part of me. So I think that's definitely true of, of just that physiological need for, for space. And like, I, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is accurate, but considering that God is built in community and that we're made to be in relationship with him, like it does seem pretty reasonable that, that it would be part of like one of our base physiological needs would be being, you know, present with God, uh, like focused on him. I think we see a number of times that the relationship between Jesus and God, the father is really hard to understand. Hmm. I mean, the Trinity in general is hard to understand. Yeah. But Jesus says things like, you know, no one knows the hour of the end times, like not even the son, but only the father. And okay. (laughs) How does that work? Mm -hmm. I don't know. And so I don't have really anything insightful to add other than just like there is a, a very difficult to comprehend. In fact, I was an impossible to comprehend relationship between Jesus and God the Father. Mm. And so even though Jesus is fully God, like there's more to it than just that. Like he's not just quote unquote just God incarnate here to wheel and deal as God on his own, but there's the other members of the Trinity and their relationship is significant in his ministry mm. in ways that I don't really understand. Sure. Pastor David made this suggestion or really this this um just really strong encouragement uh of, of taking four different half hour breakaways over the next month you know one every of every, every week sort of taking time to get away from work and life and finding quiet and, and talking to god so i wanted to ask for you guys what have you done in the past or or, or how do you anticipate what do you anticipate doing for your breakaway time how, how do you see that fitting into you know, your, your lives right now and how have they fit in in the past? I really like being out in nature, hmm. whether that's a walk here from my house to the office or going around the, here at the golf course right across Glen Ellen Road or somewhere else to just get away. Obviously, we're coming to a time in the year where it's not going to be possible as much. Be strong, Dan. Yeah, that's like <laughs> <Still possible>. January <laughs> below zero, but really take advantage. I like taking advantage of these nice times of year. Hmm. To go and be alone with the Lord in nature. Sure. That really helps me kind of get rid of the distractions. I find myself going into a small room in our house. Jesus said, when you pray, pray in secret. Hmm. That's been a pretty much a lifelong habit. I just don't see that changing. Hmm. Just keep doing that. Yeah. I can almost picture Nancy and Bill, where are you? Popping your head out. I was praying in secret. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, now this room is, it's called the bonus room in our house, and it's pretty much just a room where we've stacked boxes and we've got some cabinets. But there's two doors, so that means I can be in there singing and I'm not really bothering anybody. Hmm. 
Yeah, I just like walking. Walking in nature is great, but I don't mind walking around the suburbs too. There's just something about just kind of moving that like it activates my brain mm. um, more than like if I'm just sitting and, and thinking. I find it's much easier to get distracted when I'm just like sitting. But if I'm walking, I feel like I can. There's very little risk of someone like interrupting you if you're like out walking somewhere. I mean, I guess sure. if someone sees you that you know, then there's a very high chance that they'll interrupt you. But that doesn't happen very often. Um, and so you just kind of have that time to to be by yourself and and away from everything. There's really no other options. You know, if you're 20 minutes away from your house, you're not gonna do anything else for at least 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just like I like walking a lot. Yeah. One of the most valuable things I did in college and then the last couple of years has has been just uh, like park benches, especially in town or or you know on a forest reserve, but just like listening. Like even right now, like there's somebody who is either weed whacking or chainsawing <laughs> out the window right now, hearing that and hearing cars, hearing animals, hearing the wind, hearing, you know, the leaves on, on trees. Um, and thinking about what Scott, you've said to me before when talking about, you know, God holding all things together, mm. just like God, hear the, God hears these things too. And not only does he hear them, he knows why they happen and he knows what the person who's chainsawing right now is like thinking and what they, you know, are worried about and, and, and really just trying to, to feel a sense of context for my life and a, and a sense of place of, um, there's a very loud plane flying over right now. <laughs> uh, God knows all the people who are on that plane. Admittedly, I'm going to be on a plane like that tomorrow. But that really has had a, when I would get anxious or when I would get uh, depressed, just trying to really drive a stake into the ground and stop and say like, let me listen to God's world because he's in charge of it mm -hmm. um, has really been a big comfort as well and been great for my relationship with him in the past. It was kind of interesting on Sunday, Pastor David preached and then our lesson in our family's class was exactly this, mm. pressing pause. Mm. The series is called How to Lead in a World of Distraction. And just how do you tune out all the noise and really key into what God is telling you? And so that was exactly the point of the, the lesson, which was neat kind of coincidence, hmm. not really a coincidence that God was at work there, but the, the whole gist is how do you get quiet so that you can really be honest with God, God can speak to you, but also you can figure out like your own emotions and what's going on inside of you because so many times we are so busy, just tend to push that down, hmm. don't even know what we're feeling or why. Yeah. Any final thoughts before we move into topic of the week? A vote for Dan is a vote for jelly beans. Through that. Uh, let's get into the topic of the week. Topic of the week this week is brought to you by the Young Adults Ministry. Are you between the ages of 18 and 29 looking no. for a community of people seeking to grow closer to God together? The 18 to 20-somethings ministry is meeting in person on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Join us as we study the book of Hosea to gain a clearer understanding of God's relationship with humanity and with the church. For uh, the Young Adults Ministry, Thursday nights at 7 p.m., outdoors until it gets chilly. For more information, uh, talk to Steph Bagley, Max Terman, Phil Bagley, or grab Josh Ramirez after the service and ask him where he's been. Grab him. <laughs> unless you're married and then come to me. <laughs> yes, unless you're married and then call Scott. Say, what do I do? What do I do? I'm married. <laughs> How did this happen? Topic of the week this week, Bill, your father, Bill Calvin Sr., was in our service um, this weekend online, in person, uh, and, and shared a piece of his spiritual journey, which was super cool. First of all, just to get to see your, your dad and to hear you describe him as your hero, mm -hmm. um, but also to get to hear, I don't know, there's something about hearing the way that people came to faith before I was born that for whatever reason just really like 
excites me and interests me of, I don't know, like he talked about, uh, what was it, like 1949? 49. And, wow. he, and he knew, like the last Sunday in January, 1949. Yeah. yeah. And just thinking about, man, God, the God I know was working and he was the same back then and he was working with yeah. this this man. It's incredible. Mm. Um, and so I, I want to take today to talk a little bit about dads, about father figures, um, but specifically in that context of the spiritual journey um, of uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We touched on it already, but you know, God is a God of, of community. He's a God of, of relationship. So to each of you, and Bill, this might be easiest to start with you because it's fresh on your mind. How did your father influence your faith journey? Well, he and my mom influenced it greatly. I was born into a really devout Christian home. This is how devout my mother was. He talked about riding that bus from the west side of Akron to the furthest point away from that spot. My mom would ride the bus, transfer at night to go to a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. So she's riding a bus for like an hour, hour and a half to go to prayer meeting. I mean, that is really, really devotion. For sure. So being born into that, everything that pertained to the life of Christ and the church was just held in high esteem, hmm. that we just owe everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing too good for him. That was the mentality in the household. There's just nothing too good for him, nothing you should withhold from him. Hmm. When you serve him, do it with all your might. Hmm. That's why as I grew up, I knew you don't even bring up, do we really have to go to church today? Because that was in the air. You knew you were going. And there was only one time where I ever said, I'm not going. And it was because of Boys Brigade. I was in eighth grade, and I was just sick of Boys Brigade. So I told them, I'm not going to go anymore. And even if you take me and drop me off, I'm going to walk home. And they knew, <laughs> boy, he really doesn't want to be there. So they said, all right, but you're not able to leave the yard on that evening. You hmm. have to stay at home. I said, okay. So that lasted for like one, one Tuesday night. And they realized <laughs> he really means it. He, this is not about messing around, doing something different. This is just he hates this boys brigade hmm. so that, that's the only time i ever said you know i'm not doing it all the other things i mean when there was like a million church services hmm. there was sunday morning there was sunday school there was sunday night there was a children's program and a youth program before the sunday night service and there was wednesday bible quizzing practice and friday bible quizzing practice there were there a lot yeah and i was happy to go just let's hmm. go let's do this even though I was bored out of my mind during the church services, the church services were just horrifically <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Sunday morning. Sunday night I kind of liked, but Sunday morning was just like. I remember those days of having what Sunday are we night church. Doing yeah. here? Hmm. Scott, what about your father? How, how did he sort of impact your spiritual journey? Uh, I think similarly to Bill, um, it was greatly impacted by him and my mom, who both. Are, are strong believers and and so that was you know the way they raised us we we prayed together before every meal we went to church every week 
um, you know, like sometimes if we weren't at church, like we would make a point to kind of do like a family sort of devotional time together. Like it was just, just the culture of our household. And that obviously is something that both of my parents are directly responsible for. So mm. I think all of the ways that he's influenced me, like I'm not even aware of all of them because mm. like, it's just, it's just like that. That was just normal. Yeah. My parents came to faith when I was probably like three years old. Mm. So I, w- I wasn't like born into a Christian home, but we, when we moved from New York city, a couple hours North, we moved next door to a church and the pastor and his wife shared the gospel with my parents and they came to faith mm. and then, wow started teaching my sister and I when we were real little. My sister was probably like six and I was three. And um, my dad has impacted me in a lot of ways, probably like like Scott says, like if I fully can't know all the ways because, I mean, he's still impacting my spiritual journey mm-hmm. today. He hasn't stopped at all. And if anything, is someone I still go to for advice and to pray sure. for me. And I'm blessed to have that kind of dad. Really thankful. Yeah. But like yeah. just a very loving presence. Like he didn't always get that a lot when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like a parent saying, I love you. So he's very much about that. Growing up, even still today, like we always end our phone call saying that, and so I was just that that example of Christ's love. Really yeah. got that from my dad, and he was just always a very outgoing person. Like he'll talk to anyone about anything hmm. and try to make connections with people. I just really learned from him that that love and appreciation for people and just caring for people right where they are. He he's been a real estate agent, like delivered senior meals. He's done like art restoration. He's kind of done everything. Wow. Now he's retired. He's kind of like taught himself to do drywall. Like he's a guy who's done kind of everything <laughs> wow. and just loves interacting with people all of all walks of life. Mm. So just yeah, just that that love for people. I feel like rubbed mm. off on me. Sure. Mm. And then just taking me to church. Like I was kind of a rebellious teenager a bit in the sense that I didn't want to go to church. Mm. Not that I was doing horrible stuff. I just didn't like church. I was bored. Sure. But he didn't. He never wavered and never caved and said like, "You're not okay. You can stay home today." Mm. Like no, as long as you live in our house, you're gonna. Church is part of what we do, mm-hmm. and when you move out, you don't have to go anymore. I strongly suggest that you do, but I can't, I can't force you, but as long as you live under our roof, we're going to church. Sure. Mm-hmm. They didn't make me go to youth group, because youth group was kind of awkward and clicky, mm-hmm. so they didn't make me do that, but every Sunday I was in church, so I'm thankful that yeah. just that it wasn't like, well, okay. Like, no, this is important, and we're doing it. Hmm. One of the things that my pastor said in, in Seattle um, in talking about his relationship with his father, um, which was often negative relationship, mm-hmm. um, was he said because of that relationship, it caused him to really struggle with this idea of God the Father. Mm-hmm. Um, to really, you know, that's sort of the the part of the Trinity that he engages with the least um, because of his uh, relationship with his with his human, you know, earthly father. Um, can we? Can you talk a little bit about how God, God the Father? how he typifies what it means to be a parent, what it means to be a, a guardian um, and a mentor and a, and, a, and a loving father. Like when we call God, God the Father, how does that reflect what earthly fathers, earthly parents should be? I remember when my son Joel was born, my dad's comment was, now maybe Billy will understand why I'm so crazy about him. <laughs> because I really couldn't comprehend it. I remember coming home from seminary at like 3 in the morning. It was a long drive from Chicago to Ohio, and my dad was up. Yeah. He made it a point to jump up, come out of bed, and, and meet me at the door. Think, what are you doing? It's 3 in the morning. But that's just how much he loved me. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to see me. And I, 
transfer that to God the Father. That that is how crazy in love God the Father is with mm. His children. Mm. You know, I think dads, we were all made in the image of God. And like everyone, moms are dads, but like mm-hmm. specifically for dads, like we, the qualities that we have, and to some degree, reflect the qualities that God has. Of course, to a much lesser degree, but like as much as dads are sacrificing there's nothing that like the dads in the room bill and i that we wouldn't do for our kids mm-hmm. to help them or to, yeah. to help them be successful and realize mm-hmm. their potential and what god calls them to do like we would sacrifice and give and help and give of our time and our money and our energy to be there for them and how much more so would god do that mm. for us and has done that i mean dying on the cross for us yeah exhibit a but just that, that those qualities that we as dads possess that we that are god given that how god is just so much better of a father mm. takes that even to the the nth degree. Mm. What are some of those characteristics of God that are hardest to see in parents? What are those characteristics of God that that to you two as fathers? Mm-hmm. What are those characteristics of God that that are the most difficult to to really bring out in in human beings? I think sometimes patience on a practical level mm-hmm. to be real. Patience is really hard sometimes. Like mm. we can hit a wall with our kids depending on how our day was, mm. on our mood, on what happened to us, or what is going on in it, what, what we're thinking about, where we can just not be patient. Mm. The kid could really just receive kind of unfair treatment from us because because of all the external stresses and pressures. That patience mm. can often just be the first thing to go out the window. Mm. But God is just uh, the opposite side of that. He's just so incredibly patient with us. Mm. I hope I'm answering your question. I, sure. I thought of judgment. Hmm. I, I took the opposite tact. This is hard to wrap my head around that God condemns people to hell mm-hmm. whom he created and loved. died on the cross to yeah. save. That is hard to get my head wrapped mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. And I can see why people have a hard time with that. I, I think the response of, well, so I don't want to worship a God like that, I think they're just missing the whole point. That it's a lot deeper than what they think. That this is a, a loving father who's condemning a person to hell. I like that, to, that is hard to comprehend. I'd like to share a scripture. I just read this like yesterday in Jeremiah, where God was talking about the judgment he's going to bring on mm-hmm. the Jewish people for their unfaithfulness. He says, Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. That just really spoke to me like, wow, he's not like this unfeeling God toward the judgment that he's got to pour out because of his holiness. Yeah. Mm. That's just incredible, the emotion that God feels. Mm. Yeah. And And, I'm assuming that's the same toward people that that are condemned to hell. Sure. And how, like, to combine the two ideas, obviously there comes a point, like we talked about a few weeks ago with hell, like there comes a point, the final judgment, where there's no more second chances, but... Like God provides so many second chances and third mm-hmm. chances and fourth chances. And I, there's a verse in Ezekiel that I really love where God says, like, even if I've said, you will surely die, like, not, you're going to, you might die. It's, it's, it could happen. Or like, you know, it, I'm thinking about it, but like, you will surely die. Even if I've said that, if you repent and come back to me, like, mm-hmm. I will relent and, and you will not be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And just like that sense of like, until it's too late, it is never too late. Like, God mm-hmm. always wants you to come back to him. Yeah. Even if you've rejected him for, 95 years and spit in his face on that 96th year if you come back to him he'll accept you and i think the flip side is true too of to bill's point of like how can somebody who loves you who created you and i I never think about the creation aspect like who designed you and built you and knew what he wanted for you and 
blessed you and taught you, raised you, gave you so many chances to turn back to him. How could he condemn you to hell? On the flip side, like, would it be love if he made it impossible for you to reject him? Like, would it be love if it was, you'll do what you want and then I'll change your mind? Like, I will make yeah. you submit to yeah, me. It wouldn't be love at all. It wouldn't, yeah. which is so counterintuitive to say, like, I love you enough to let you reject me and deal with the consequences. <laughs> like, is that what, is that how that is? Or, I mean, mm. you know, loving someone is, 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 truth is telling them the truth is is showing them the truth and the truth is that there is no life apart from him that is mind-boggling still that he kind of said you know as c.s lewis says we have to bring him up every show you know it's it's <laughs> He's our mascot podcast mascot <laughs> he should have been in your running mate bill um <laughs> Not too late to change, Bill. He says, yes, yes, there is. Campaign shakeup. No, there's no take backs. So he he says on Judgment Day uh, to the people who accept Jesus, God says, they say your will be done. And and then to the people who reject God, God says your will be done. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like to give the, the, to give people sort of the, um, the ability to, to look into the face of the truth and say, no, is such an insane redefinition of the word love from our very limited like human perspective of like being lo- loving someone is being really really nice to them all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to show tough love. Sure, I'm sure our, our parents had to show have had to show us tough love over the years. Maybe maybe not. I know parents that have had to to their kids. Mm. Or kids are making bad decisions and the parents say, you know what, I got to cut you off. I can't give you any more money because mm. you're just using it to. Sure. Do stuff that's not helpful for you. To that, I know that again. I'm springing this question on you, but is that why God gives us choice? Is that why God gives us free will? Is because He loves us, or is there is it something else? Is, is just you know He loves us and He just wants to like to open a can of worms off the top of your head. If you have a, an answer that you're happy with, if you're not, we can just move on. But like. Why does why why does God give us free will, if you will, for for ten cents? Why why does God give us free will? Is it because He loves us? Is it because of something else? I think it glorifies Him more hmm. for us to have free will. It's not just displaying His power to create automatons that do whatever He wants them to do, but it's His power. It it displays His worthiness to receive. Mm. love and 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 faithfulness from people when we choose to do that and mm. and on the flip side you know his power and 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 majesty and justice are displayed in the other direction you know when people reject him so i think my personal opinion is that god's ultimate goal is his own glory mm-hmm. because that's the the most perfect goal in the mm-hmm. universe for anything to have is god's glory is god's glory not their own glory uh, yeah it's god's glory and so I think in that we see a greater opportunity for hmm. for God's glorification than would have happened otherwise. Because that is his nature, is he is ultimately glorified. Right. Hmm. Yeah. And I think in Ephesians it even talks about how like the death of G Je- the, the work of Jesus on the cross, like it's in Ephesians one, I forget exactly what it says, but it's basically like it's for God's glory. Like hmm. it saves us for God's glory. Hmm. Talking about people who grew up with negative or entirely absent father figures mm-hmm. um, who, you know, and, and to, to, to single mothers, 
to single fathers who say, I'm not, I'm not both parents um, and I don't want my child to grow up thinking that they are you know, lacking something and the people who did grow up with, a, with an absent parent. Is it true? Is it, is it really tangible and practical, practical and, and holdable in your hands? And, and I would love to have a, a, a guest on in a couple of weeks who we can talk about this further to really say that God, God is ultimately our, our father more than, than even our parents, even our earthly parents. But like, is that usable? Is that practical? Is that something that we can hold to in a real emotional sense and say that God fulfills me and God loves me and God raises me in a way that makes up for the shortcomings of both of my parents? No, that was a story in my wife's life hmm. where she went through some rough stuff in her early childhood. And that was something that really sustained her and carried her through was this idea of God is my father and he's not going to let me down. Hmm. My earthly father may have let me down, but God won't. Hmm. So what can we say to those people, those people who are in that situation now? Well, I don't want to, I don't think we want to just tell them, well, God's your father. I hope you feel better. <laughs> I mean, Amen. That, that's not really helping. Right. The issue. I think it's in the context of relationship, meeting with people, praying with them and then opening the word, opening the Bible with them and helping them to see who God the father is and his deep love for them. Mm. And the fact that he is that God, that's not going to go anywhere, mm -hmm. but that God isn't like that. Yeah. But I think it's a process. It takes time. Well, I think you're pointing out how powerful God is. As I think of God, the father in heaven, and then each of my parents and how rough their upbringing was. My father was essentially an orphan, so he didn't have a father figure. His father died when he was four. His mother lost her mind pretty much at that point because she had seven children and the Great Depression was in its height. So he was an orphan, really. Thankfully, a Christian family took four of those seven children into their home and provided a Christian home for them for several years. My mother grew up in a difficult situation. Her father was, I guess you would say, a functional alcoholic. Mother just was a stay-at-home mom and really didn't know how to control the guy. But they did. They had crazy, crazy things going on in that house. That My Aunt Jenny spoke of one of them and then just covered her mouth and said, oh, I wasn't supposed to say that. And she's saying that as a 95-year-old woman. Mm. So she's buried this... And to the rest of us, it was just like, well, that was okay to say, so I better mention what it was. My grandfather would sometimes shoot a gun off inside the house. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. So that would put a scare into you, is no matter what your age is in yeah. a home. Mm -hmm. So there they both were, growing up in homes that really are dysfunctional, and yet they both get saved, and they keep their eyes on God as to how will we raise our children. Mm. And he became their guiding light to raise Sherry and I, and it worked. Mm. So that's my word of encouragement to anyone out there who says, my father was terrible, so I'm going to be scarred. Not necessarily. You've got a God who heals scars mm -hmm. and heals wounds and is willing to help you to do something un unbelievable mm -hmm. to raise your children in an environment that causes your children to say, God bless my parents. I love them. Mm -hmm. Amen to that, Bill. Yeah. Yeah.
we're not under a curse to repeat the same mistakes. Mm. Yes. Before we have a God that lifts curses and then mm. breaks chains and bondage. Mm. Yes. And we do have a choice. Mm. And I think that, you know, to your question, Max, of is it like a, a real practical thing that we can kind of hang our hat on? I think it is, but it's 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 not going to happen to you. Like, mm. if you just, you know, are, are kind of bitter and, and upset and you're like, oh, where's God and all this, whatever... I don't. I don't think you're really going to experience it. I think you're going to need to, not to like meet God on His terms, but to to seek Him out, yeah. and to choose to rely on Him. And I think you know it. It has to be a decision that you make, not someone coming and being like, "Well, God's your father," like we said earlier. God's your father. You're fine. Mm-hmm. But it's like you choosing to say, "Like God is my father," and 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 He is sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you do that, and and what does that mean? Like if you. If you have a father and you want him to have an impact in your life, like you're going to have to spend time with him. Mm. And the ways that God spends time with us are through his word and, and prayer. Yeah. And those are two things that you kind of have to initiate mm. um, to a certain extent. And so like, if you're not doing those things, like, what are you expecting is going to happen? Amen. Listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather's, trivia quizzes, bets. Dads. And Dads, <laughs> send your best dad to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. For our closing segment this week, it's time for bets. Last week, our bet did not make it to the air, so this will be a surprise to listeners, but uh, we're going to honor it anyway. We asked how many times in his sermon Pastor David would say the word doctor in reference to the Gospel of Luke, Dr. Luke's profession. I don't think it was in reference to anything. I think it was just how many times. It was just how many times we say doctor. Yes, but the reason we asked about that, it wasn't like we were like, how many times will he say horses? (laughs) Which admittedly, (laughs) I kind of just want to have a a secret (laughs) word. Oh my goodness. Can we have a secret word every week? Well, uh, three of us here preach, and then we know the secret word. And <laughs> well, we throw okay. it in all the time. That's true. And the word is Horatio. We even find a way to put Horatio <laughs> in there. How would you fit Horatio into a song? I would do it somehow. Go on. I don't well, know how. Well, You're preaching a couple weeks. This is your chance. Yeah, three and a half weeks. I guess, yeah, yeah you could plan in out this insane, like, or you just finish the end, you're like, amen. Horatio Scott. <laughs> Horatio Scott Reed. Horatio Scott Reed. My full name. If you ask me what I knew about Horatio, I would say not very much. Let's talk about the Gospel of Luke. <laughs> uh, right at the beginning of his sermon, Pastor David said, quote, Dr. Luke was a physician. Uh, so I was very hopeful that uh, that we would end up getting at least one more during the course of the, of the sermon. Dan uh, expected two, two doctors. Scott said two doctors. Bill said no doctors. Uh, but that was the only one. That was the only time it was stated, uh, meaning that we have a three-way tie, and for the sake of the budget, no one all. will get jelly beans. That's uh, why you should have liked me. We, yeah. We, I'm voting for Dan. For the get sake of, of the range. budget, no one will be getting jelly beans. Um, <laughs> although there is an ice cream sandwich in the freezer back there if anybody wants it. Um, How long has it been there? But here's the thing. I'm going... <laughs> I'm going out of town. What did you say? How long has it been there? I have no idea. It's just a it's just a loose ice cream sandwich. There's not even a box. I'll tell you what though. I'm going out of town. Um tomorrow. Jelly beans. going to Seattle. I'll bring you some Seattle jelly beans. So I I will we'll have jelly beans for all, just for you today. Yay! Yes. Bill, jelly beans for all. I hope Bill Bill, if you don't want them. Scott and I'll split them. I, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Bill doesn't even want to be here. <laughs> I, I, I don't, don't want to show alone. favoritism towards one of the candidates, one of the three candidates. So I'm saying this is because I'm going out of town. This has nothing to do with the bet or your crazy policy ideas. 
That's how you really feel. Sorry, it no should be because Thank there's you. a three-way tie for the bet. Why it's true. Well, so this is the thing: is in the future, any ties, complete ties, or ties of more than two people, will not result in a winner because otherwise there would be incentive. For you guys to work together to force Except a tie. We don't know what the questions are until I know. I'll uh, eat them tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Eat them, Bill. Eat them. Good for you. I wasn't gonna do a bet this week just because I'm gonna be out of town, so I won't be able to officiate by staying at the service. Um, but seeing as the sermon will be online and it's Pastor David preaching are again, be in your row on the plane. What did you say? So how many people will be in your row on the how plane? How many people will be? Okay. Probably full. I'm in for that. Because I've been on several very different plane rides in the last couple months. Mm -hmm. Some completely full, some with no one in the middle seat. Man, all right. Well, forget it. Let's do that. So how many people are in the whole row of the six six. feet across? Mm -hmm. So it is, it's going to be a 737. It's going to be six feet, six six seats. seats. Mm -hmm. I will count. So the the minimum will be one. I'm flying Alaska. The minimum, that's important to say. I am flying Alaska. Uh, the minimum will be one because it'll be me, and the maximum will be well, six. I think you count as two thirds. Well, <laughs> so Air Alaska flies from Chicago to yeah. Seattle. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, their home base is Seattle. Oh, it's not even Alaska. <laughs> All right, Dan. How many do you say? Six. Scott. Four. Bill. Five. I say three. Three say people in my Alaska room. is a classy airline. They they're are. not going to seat people in the middle seats. They're not going to do middle seats. Unlike American, which is a trash airline. They're, they're not going to do middle seats, but the other times I've flown on a Thursday morning, it hasn't been a full flight. Um, so I'm thinking there's going to be one empty one. The last time I flew, like, I was the only one. Hmm, I've so rarely plane? been on flights uh, that aren't full. In my, in my road. Dan. Okay. My road. It's like, harder to Do you plane. think there's going to be six people on the plane? <laughs> Even when I fly, just at like ungodly hours. They're still full. In normal days. Sure. All right. Mm. Well, um, as always, bets just completely off the rails segment. That is all the time that we have (laughs) this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Dan. Thank Thank you, Max. Scott. (laughs) Take your jelly beans and take us home. You've been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast and Presidential Debate. Amen. Brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation. Hail to the chief. Also, this is my chance to say, Steph Bagley, last Wednesday, sent us a thing that was like, it's International Podcast Day. Last Wednesday was International Podcast Day. I completely forgot to mention it. So first of all, happy International Podcast Day. And also with you. And also with you. And then also thank you, Steph, for sending that to us. <laughs> I'm sorry I forgot. But <laughs> My favorite interchange in all the podcasts was when you Bill said, top of the muffin tea. And the rest of the muffin tea. You know, <laughs> that, is, that was just my favorite. <laughs> That's so funny. That's a Seinfeld quote. It is. Yeah, top of the muffin. Top yeah. of the muffin to you. Mm-hmm. Scott, can you get off the phone? This is very important. We're already 20 minutes late. Oh my God. That's it. Time for me to go. I'm upset. Whatever. I'm going to channel my anger. Channel your anger into. Into the show. Yeah. I'm going to be so mean today. Mm. I'm your moderator. He says that with a smile. <laughs> so mean. I'm your moderator, and I'm pissed. <laughs> Welcome to the angry tank. This is Dan freaking Marceau. <laughs> Do you have Just an anger? Put in random mm. bleeps. Do you, this is Dan. <laughs> Marcel. Do you have a do you have an angry voice? I don't know what it would be. I'm probably. <laughs> I'm sure everyone does. Um, ready to go, Scott? 
No, but I never am these days. That's right. That's the th- fun of it. <clears throat> All right, ready? <laughs> oh. <laughs> he was just getting ready to say hello, everyone. That was the adrenaline hit, and now it's I have to wait another 10 minutes for it to build back <laughs> up again. Mm. Uh, ready, Scott? <laughs> <laughs>